Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. I was in Nicaragua. I was in the pool drinking my hand probably quite a few in at this point. And I get an email from my property manager at the time and it says, a storm just hit your house. Basically the roof blew off. And it did not phase me in the slightest because I said, cool, let me know what I need to do. I put in a thing with my insurance company, said, hey, got a claim. They said, cool, who do we contact? I said, call my manager. And that was the last I ever did of a roof blowing off of my house. And I never left the pool. This is the Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, it's Matt Bowles here, and this is part two of my interview with Allie Boone. She is the founder and owner of Hipster Investments, and since 2013 has been a weekly contributor to the Bigger Pockets blog. She is a real estate investor, a pilot, a flight instructor. She has a master's degree in aerospace engineering and another master's degree in spiritual psychology And she's even appeared on our reality makeover show. Now, if you missed part one of this interview, I'd suggest you go back and listen to the previous episode first, where she tells her story of how she left her top secret government job to move to the beach and start her own real estate investment company. Now, if you have listened to the first episode, we are still in the Swiss Alps and still drinking our bottle of Chianti Classico. And on this episode, I'm going to ask her about her travel life, her real estate investing experience her top tips for people buying rental properties and hiring property managers. And of course, I'm going to ask her about her reality TV debut. Allie, welcome back to the show. And I want to kick off part two here with some travel questions for you. Oh, the fun stuff. Let's get into some fun stuff. What would be the top maybe two or three places that you have traveled to, and I know you've been Europe, you've been Asia, you've been South America, you've been all over. What would you say would be your top two or three places that you've traveled that you would most recommend to people or and that you would most yourself like to go back and spend more time there? Live there for maybe a month plus if you had the opportunity. So I've been places in Asia, in Europe, and in Central America. Hands down, no contest. I am beyond obsessed with Central America. I have not been to South yet. It's my goal. But uh, anything like Latin type, something about it. I don't know if I had like a past life living. I don't know. Something gets me. And Europe and Asia and all those, I like them. I'll go there if I'm invited. But I, I don't ever see myself purposely making a legit effort to go there. Just because like Europe, for example... And it's obviously independent where you go. It reminds me of the U.S. price-wise, food-wise, whatever. And I, but Central America, on the other hand, I can get a whole meal for like two bucks, and just yeah. that excitement, and yeah. then like the style. But the other place, other than Central America, uh, not out of the U.S., but is Alaska. Okay. And so it kind of fits into my. I like casual, outdoorsy. Just I like nature type. I like stuff that looks good on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like more of the adventure outdoorsy. So 
from a preference standpoint, that's where mine are. Okay, so top picks for travel destinations you've never been that you would most like to go. So if you were able to just book a trip to anywhere, what would be your top couple picks, places you would love to go? Something along the lines of like Columbia. I hear about Columbia. I know a lot of people who have moved there or are from there or some. I'm not set on Columbia specifically, but something along those lines. Like Brazil, I of course would go, but I I don't feel drawn to it for like a month type thing. But something a little rugged, a little cultural. Although I will tell you, I will tell you that Brazil, I I lived in Rio for two months Mm -hmm. uh, in 2015. And I will tell you the Brazil visa is amazing. It takes a while to get it. You have to, if you're going for more than 30 days, you got to show financial statements and it's kind of cumbersome and it takes a while at the consulate. But once you get it, I have now in my passport a 10 year 10 years? 10 year visa. It says <laughs> it says I am allowed to live in Brazil for 180 days per year for each of the next 10 years. That's ridiculous. It's unbelievable. I mean, that's great for you, it's but it's unbelievable. Ridiculous. It's unbelievable. So, <laughs> so once you get that visa, there's a lot of incentive to hang out in Brazil. And it's, it Rio was unbelievable. It was amazing. I was there before the Olympics, yeah. you know, but it was just truly one of the most, I think, naturally beautiful, just yeah. jaw-droppingly gorgeous, you know, the city right on the beach and the coast. And it was just truly stunning. So Brazil is amazing. And then last year I was in uh, Cartagena, Colombia for just for a week oh, on the Car- on the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, on the Caribbean coast, which was amazing. One of the most incredible colonial cities in all of South America for sure. I have to be I have to be careful with Brazil though, because I'm so dead set on learning Spanish. I think Portuguese would confuse me. Well, Spanish I think is an amazing language. Um, I, I don't speak it nearly as well as I, uh, I would like to, but it is the second most spoken first language in the world yeah. after Mandarin in China. That's ridiculous. And so it's most people speak Spanish as a first language than English. I mean, if you think about the number of countries yeah. that speak Spanish, I mean, so if you can get your Spanish game up, it's definitely um, an incredible, you know, passport to the world and and really cool. So, but I agree. I mean, I love the Spanish-speaking oh, countries yeah. in Central and South America. I so feel like I'm so excited to go back. I would never limit myself, but I feel like those are all I actually care about. Yeah, like I love amazing. my experiences and everything else. China was, I mean, that was so eye-opening and just culturally amazing for my own growth. But at the end of the day, I love. <laughs> Not only the Spanish, I love the dancing. Yes. I love the language. I love the culture. And even the little colorful buildings all over the place. Like I I remember the very first time I went to Nicaragua where you and I have been. Yeah. And uh, I just, I was looking out the window of the bus like, I was going to move to Nick. Remember, I was going to move to Nicaragua for a while. Yeah. And then I got busy in, you know, life and whatever. But I just, something came over me. I was like, oh. I remember you went I, there I was and, you, and and on your first visit there, I think it was your first or your second, you were like, I am going to actually look into how to move here. And you were literally going out and looking at rental properties. I, did. I even found one. Yeah. I almost put a lease on yeah. one. And I'm pretty sure I had said that to you in less than 12 hours of being there. Yeah. Like it was immediate. I was like, I have to you're like, like, this is where I, I want to live and yeah. move. And I have the ability to do so because I'm totally location independent exactly. and I don't need to go back. Actually, I can just... though, to be accurate, I still had the corporate job at that point. And I remember that was part of the motivation of thinking, I have, aside from meeting you and like, wait a minute, I could, I could travel and do all that. I thought, oh my God, I have to move to Nicaragua. How could, how? How am I going to make that happen? Right. And that was part of this whole equation of like, and so it was, even though I never moved to Nicaragua, I could have. Could have, yeah. I could have. That's and you still could. And you still could. I still could. Yeah. Totally. All right. So let's, I want to also touch on the topic of real estate. You are. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the you, thing we do. <laughs> that, whole, that whole thing, which we haven't really talked <laughs> I, about I yet. I forget about talking about that one. You, <laughs> you are a, for people that don't know you and they don't know who you are, you are a, first of all, you've been a regular contributor on the Bigger Pockets blog, yeah. which I believe is the largest real estate investment blog in the United States, certainly. I think they, they have to be. And you sure. have been a weekly contributor f- since 2013. And Do you know what so- that translates to? 
That means I am so out of ideas of what to write about. <laughs> but you are legitimately, after that many years of weekly blogging at that caliber, you are, I think, one of the foremost, you know, sort of formidable real estate investment public intellectuals or, you know, public writers on the subject matter. You have a lot of followers, a lot of people that read your work, uh, and a lot of people that have been following you for years, and a lot of people that look up to you for real estate investing advice yeah. and, and things of that nature. And obviously you started off, um, you know, before you started writing, you were investing in real estate yourself. You were building a portfolio of cash flow properties for yourself. You were buying investment property out of state. Yeah. You were living on the beach in California because- who wouldn't want to live on the beach in California? Hello. <laughs> but you weren't buying real estate on the beach in California. You were buying real estate in other markets and other states where it made more sense. Um, and I think that you know, you've had quite a journey there in terms of learning the good, the bad, the ugly, making mm -hmm. mistakes and learning from them and um, you know, continuing to build and grow your investment portfolio and then sharing your stories and your lessons with an increasingly impressive audience. And so yeah. as that real estate investing expert, I want to you know, just sort of maybe you can share with folks. We're gonna, you know, there's a lot of listeners. Some people, you know, know who you are. They maybe already follow you, but some people don't know who you are. Yeah. They've never heard of you. Uh, maybe they don't own any real estate. Um, they don't know much about investing in real estate at all. So can you talk a little bit about why invest in real estate in general, why and how you have bought your properties out of state. You, you've bought, literally bought properties out of state and sight unseen. You yeah. closed on the property. You'd never seen it. You didn't walk through it. You never looked at it. Um, for people that are listening that are not familiar with that concept and they're like, wow, that sounds totally out there. Can you just talk a little bit about your investing philosophy, you know, both for yourself and how you educate your, your clients and your audience? Yeah, totally. And I'll, I'll open it up with a little bit of a miniature backstory. When I was back in these days of like figuring out business or real estate or like, how the hell am I going to get a corporate type thing? I thought I just growing up, I feel like this is the case for a lot of people. I just heard directly or indirectly or something that if you own real estate, you're great. Like it's financially smart. It's whatever. So in my exploration time, I knew a woman who had been in development and all these things. She was in real estate and she had an agent friend in Orange County, California. And my friend suggested to me, she said, well, I know you've been looking, you're kind of exploring this real estate thing. Let's meet up with the agent. Let's go look at properties. And I thought, oh my God, I'm in. Like, I'm going to do this real estate thing. Like, oh, holy shit, I'm in. And we ran, went around with the agent and we saw, I don't know, five or six properties. They were all priced. They were single family homes, single story. The cheapest one we saw, I think, was about 270000 one of them had a rigor mortis rat in it. <laughs> and I, I don't tell a lot of people that I don't do bugs or dead or gross. Like it's bad. So it was, these houses were not in good condition. They're really, they're foreclosures. They're disgusting. There's rigor mortis rats. And the cheapest one was 270 and the rent projected for it was going to be 1200. And I had no idea what it meant to run numbers on a rental property, or I didn't know what I was supposed to be looking at. I knew nothing other than I should own a rental property. But something about when I was sitting, I was like, okay, I don't really know what math I'm supposed to be doing or what math I can do or whatever, but I feel like something's missing in this equation. Because if I'm paying the mortgage on a $270,000 house, which for the record, needs a lot of work. So I don't even know what it would be after. Like, someone has to get that rat out, because I'm not. And then, and then we need to, like, bleach the floors and then basically rehab the entire house. Um, I Something about the math was not resonating. I was like, I can't put my finger on it. I don't know what's wrong with this picture, but something doesn't feel right. So after I accidentally got into real estate and I started learning these things, what I realized is, well, how to do the numbers. And so you were talking about the motivation for buying out of my local area. I cannot buy a property in Southern California or most of California that the cost of buying that property would not 
be higher than the income I would bring in. So if I'm paying a mortgage, it's going to be whatever amount per month. And in theory, to make positive on my cash flow, I need enough in rental income to cover not only the mortgage, because this is where people kind of goof up too. It's not just covering the mortgage, but it's also repairs, taxes, insurance, all these expenses. So then it made sense because the mortgage on that $270,000 property, that $1,200 rent payment, if it covered the mortgage, it wasn't going to cover any other expenses. So I'm going to lose money every month to own that property. And then I'm thinking, wait, well, isn't the point of owning a, real, a rental property to make money? So the trick with this whole thing is, which you can do in other markets outside of Southern California, not all of them, but some of them, is buy a property for a price that is low enough and the rent is high enough to cover all of your expenses and then put extra in your pocket. And when I realized this concept of cash flow, like, ah, oh, now that makes sense over the rigor mortis rat. So being willing to go out of state and realizing that's possible, and it's not about landlording. Landlording a property or flipping a property or rehabbing or whatever is work. And if you want to be a real estate investor, there are some great investors out there who do flip, who do rehab. Phenomenal. I would never say don't do that if you have the skill for it. But if you're like me and not only don't have the skill, but not the interest either, make it like a business and create your team. And again, you're not about the trade. I'm not about landlording the house or dealing with the tenants. I hire people to do that. It's just like running a business, no different at all. And when you're willing to do that and learn that aspect of it, you can then become mobile to whatever market's most advantageous at that time because it moves all the time. So you can buy in one city now or another city later or... So you're able, as you build your personal portfolio, you're able to decide what markets you want to buy in and you're not inhibited by where you live. You don't have to mm -hmm. buy in your local area. You can buy out of state in the most advantageous markets, depending on where they are in their local property cycle. And then you get professional people to do the, all the renovation yeah. and you get professional people to do the property management. So you're not a rehabber. You're not a landlord. You are... A real estate investor. And do you know the number one argument against all of that? Prop quote, I'm doing the quote fingers for everyone who can't see it. Property managers suck. Because if you're going to own a rental property outside of where you are, technically you can landlord it yourself or whatever, but why? So hire property management. Well, property management notoriously blows. Like, truly, it's the bane of rental property existence, in my opinion. However... To overcome that, learn to manage your team. You don't have to keep a bad property manager. You can keep shopping for another one. It's trial and error. Just like the employees of running a business, right. it's not a hard point. Like You have flexibility. You're the boss. It's part of the experience of you making this happen. So I, And I, I just throw that out because that's the first argument I get is, Oh, I don't want to deal with property managers or let them do whatever. Why not? Like learn to manage them. It's it's a little skill involved, but it's a hell of a lot easier than managing tenants. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> Are it's like, you kidding? Exactly. And it's like anyone else that anyone else that works for you, yeah. right? Maybe pay them a little bit more. Maybe incentivize them in a different way. Yeah. Maybe manage them in a different way, right? If you want someone to perform a particular service in your interest, yeah. you need to incentivize them to do so. You need to, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, absolutely. And, and I think all of it, I, I think that is an interesting sort of parallel framework, right? In yeah. terms of owning a business and managing staff that execute certain things yeah. and owning an investment portfolio and managing and sort of overseeing certain people that are going to perform particular services for you there and what yeah. do you do when they don't perform what do you do when your staff doesn't perform yeah. how do you you know deal with that and you know how do you come to terms with imperfection but good enough yeah right and not to bring back this idea of control freaks but i can i can because i was one right. so i'm allowed to speak to it i uh, get also in addition to trusting someone to take care of the property is well i have to pay the property manager 10 percent a month wouldn't it be better if I just do the work myself and save that 10% a month? Well, 
guess what? Go back to my website guy story, my seven and a half hours of complete unsuccess versus the $4 minute and a half, if that, whatever the numbers were. It's the same type of thing. And realize that by paying 10%, you're gaining time and mobility, which to me is worth way more than what, maybe a hundred bucks a month or whatever. And I'll tell you a quick, a a fun one. I wrote an article about this. I was in Nicaragua, speaking of, I was in the pool. I was about to say there's a drink in my hand, but I think we've established that's (laughs) like, that's what happens in Nicaragua. Drink in my hand, probably quite a few in at this point. And I get an email from my property manager at the time. And it says, a storm just hit your house. Basically, the roof blew off. Not exactly those terms, but the roof had blown off of one of my houses to some degree. And it did not phase me in the slightest because I said, cool, let me know what I need to do if I need to contact the insurance company to be in touch with you. Wham, bam, done. I put in a thing with my insurance company, said, hey, got a claim. They said, cool, who do we contact? I said, call my manager. And that was the last I ever did of a roof blowing off of my house. And I went, I was, I never left the pool with my, who knows what I was drinking in my hand. Right. But I spent maybe not even five minutes for the roof blowing off my house. Crazy. The roof. <laughs> but if I was landlording that house myself, first of all, I don't know how to catch a roof and put it back on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, if you want to see a real dingy side of me come out, put me in front of a house that needs a repair of some sort. <laughs> I, where, where does one chase down the roof? I don't know. But if I think about how much I pay, and I didn't pay him extra for this. It's part of this 10% a month. So I gave him 100 bucks that month as usual. And he probably did hours worth of work. Like, is that really not worth a hundred? Like I will swipe my credit card right now for a hundred dollars for someone to take some major stress off of my life. And I can go back to the pool with a drink in my hand. Exactly. Like people have got. I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting the Maverick show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes, sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, the physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. To understand this concept. And the valuation, I mean, I want you to, maybe you could speak a little bit more to this in terms of, you know, what you've learned in your journey, both in real estate investing and in business, about the value of your time. Yeah. And also, I'm wondering if you could speak to some of the strategies that you've developed to deal with stress management. Wine is a good coping mechanism good for some. Um, highly recommend. But uh, no, on a serious note, one thing that I really stressed myself out about is I heard so many professional, big-time entrepreneurs go on and on and on about how they work 17 hours a day and they just grind, 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 grind. And truly something that really helps me not only relax but clear my head and keep my creativity going, I will sit on my couch and binge watch a television show for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, not, mm-hmm. I mean, it could be very long. I mean, it's ranged from a couple hours at a time to a whole weekend to maybe more if I get really obsessed with something. But allow yourself to do something that takes your mind off of it for starters, mm-hmm. and it'll probably calm you down and help you get clear headed. So, little things I, I, a huge meditator, I, you know, I got a degree in being a hippie. Like that was, that was my thing. (laughs) So now that I have my hippie degree, uh, I meditate a lot. Uh, I don't do regular yoga. I do Kundalini yoga. I do Tantra. I do a lot of the more spiritual kind of things. And those 
really, really help. But on a more kind of everybody, everyday type thing, like let yourself relax, truly watch TV, go do whatever. And don't feel inclined to just grind all the time on a more serious level. One of the best things that I ever figured out, I figured this out in my first year and I, I tried it and it proved to work phenomenal. And to this day, I still use this if necessary is there was a point in time, I think early in my first year that I was so stressed out about making money. I didn't know how to do it. I just knew, I didn't even know how much I needed. I just needed money. And I was so focused on the end goal. I was like, Oh, I mean, I was wearing myself out. Like I was killing my daily creativity. I was killing ideas. I was killing everything. Cause all I could think about is, Oh my God, I need money. And I, I don't have it yet. And it was this huge crisis basically. And so I, I tricked myself. So keep in mind this whole, this is all a game, right? Your mind or the whatever insecure part of yourself is going to freak. So if you can find a way to appease this little part of you who's freaking, and the best way I found to do that, and this is so applicable for so many things in life, set something up to be like an experiment. Let's say you are horrible at change. Let's say you want to change... I don't know, whatever you want to change. And there's a part inside of you that is freaking out because everyone hates change, right? Well, don't say I'm going to change this thing, period, end of story, and freak out this part of you. Instead, say, you know, this part of me, how about we just try it? Let's do a trial. Let's do 30 days. At the end of 30 days, you know what? Have a conversation. Like, you're going to look schizophrenic. But have a conversation with the side of you and say dude, let's just try it for 30 days. And if at the end of 30 days we hate it, cool, man, we drop it. End of story. I will tell you that will appease that little nervous side so easily. And so what I did the first year, I sat down, I started my schizophrenic conversation with, you know, whichever part of this was freaking out of me. And I said, okay, I get you're freaking out. I get why. It's totally legit. We're hungry. We also have to pay rent. I get it. However, let's do this. Instead of stressing over it every day because I'm wearing thin, I'm going to give myself a deadline. By January 1st of next year, I think this was like February of this particular year, I said, I'm going to give myself till January 1st. And between now and then, I have no cares whatsoever about how much I make. If I make zero, cool. If I make who knows how much, cool. Not about that. It's not about the end goal. I am not required to make money before January 1st. End of story. And by going into that mindset, I opened up that space from February to January to do whatever the frig I wanted. I could be as creative as I wanted because there was no risk involved because I did not have a requirement to make money. And then I said, so no requirement to make money. Let's just do whatever we come up with between now and then. And on January 1st, we're going to sit down. We're going to look at the bank account. We're going to look at the credit cards. We're going to look at everything going on and assess how it's going. And if at that point we have reason to be in panic mode, I will consider getting a regular job again. If we're going to see, let's just see what happens. Set it up as a trial, a scientific experiment. There's no pressure. There's no commitment. There's no whatever, but it frees you for that time period that you allot to try everything you can, because if you don't allow yourself that freedom, you will limit yourself, period. So sure enough, I get to January 1st and, you know, I, I hadn't made a fortune by any stretch of the imagination, but Things seemed to kind of, I was like, um, okay, I, I'm not to my final goals by, I mean, not even close, but I was starting to eat a little more consistently. Like I was looking at the patterns. I was like, you know, all the patterns suggest that I'm actually, I might, I, this could work. So what I did was I extended the deadline to March 31st. I was like, you know what? Let's just see where this goes. And if at March 31st, it's gone nowhere we're calling it and we're done. So I get to March 31st. Oh, I've I've made a little more money. And I did that for two or three years. And even when I stopped doing this trial trick, I call it the trick because you're really tricking the insecure side of yourself or the panicky side of yourself. 
But even after that, like when I was more consistent, I didn't have to do it on such a big level. Little things like, let's just try it. And when you reframe something in that context, because nothing is permanent, you don't have to keep doing anything. And same with real estate. I tell people all the time, you know what? I get you're so nervous to get this property. I get it. Like, it's intimidating. Let's be honest. To buy a property and then assume you're going to get income and yada, yada, yada. If you have the money, just try one and just see what happens. You never have to buy again, ever. No pressure. End of story. So that is... And you can do it small scale, too. Like, that really is huge, I think, as a way of really powering through everything, real estate, entrepreneurship, travel. Let's say you think you don't want to go somewhere. Just go for a week. If you don't like it, don't go back. Right. <laughs> like, right. Life's not that hard. It's right. like, we just make it ridiculously hard. That's right. So, And it's incredibly short. And so yeah. if you have aspirations and you have dreams and you have things that you really want to do that have been suppressed by yeah. society and other people telling you you can't and yeah. you know you won't be able to do it and you shouldn't and it's not responsible and it's any other kind of stuff you know life is short yeah I was just thinking of all the, the crabs in the bucket analogy. Like everyone's going to try and hold you back because they're going to think you've lost your mind. Right. Like just be ready for it and take that on as like, I don't know, make it exciting. Like, right. cool. I, you know, and if they get in your head, cool. Well, I'm going to give myself 60 days right. and then I'll go back to their standards or whatever. It's not a big deal. So you, so one of the things that I want you to talk about a little bit is the two different master's degrees that you have and <laughs> but here's what I think is interesting about them and here's what I want you to speak to <laughs> you have one master's degree in aeronautical engineering and you have one master's degree in spiritual I, psychology I told you I wanted to become a hippie exactly <laughs> And but, when I put my mind to something. <laughs> well, but that's significant, right? So talk about, you know, what was your motive in terms of getting that first master's degree? Mm -hmm. And then what was your motive in getting the second master's degree? Well, I think there's some technical things I could answer, but I don't think those matter. I think the better answer to those are the degree in aeronautical engineering. Granted, I'm a pilot. I love flying airplanes. I love aerospace. I love aviation. I hate engineering, but I was in that space, so it wasn't a complete stretch. But that degree to me almost re represents more of, like I talked about the should syndrome. Go to school, get good grades, get a degree, get a secure job. Hello, a chick in aerospace engineering. Like, not a, It's not perfectly secure, but doing pretty good. And it... That's where that came from, is I was so mind-driven. I grew up with a very intellectual, logical family, business-oriented, and that made sense. Well, as I was in that and through all of this journey with everything else and whatever, you know, and I, th I think this is probably typical for a lot of people, is we grow up believing we're a certain kind of person because people give us feedback. We we don't know. We don't know ourselves. Have you been a teenager lately? Oh, God. <laughs> not only do we not know ourselves, we're monsters. Um, but we are forced to go by what everyone else tells us we are or what we are made to believe. But as you get older, I'm sure a lot of people experience this, is you start kind of like, I thought I was super shy. I am still actually kind of shy. I'm sure my neck is bright red, and we don't even have an audience sitting here. Like, I still have a shy streak, but... I believed that I was a very shy person. Well, little things started kind of happening. That's like the makeover show. Like I've now been on television and I was not shy. <laughs> we need to talk about that in a minute. <laughs> My neck was that's red. That's the next question. But <laughs> after you answer this question, that's the next question. But like a little, you know, when I went into the makeover show, uh, I didn't know how I was going to be with TV cameras in front of me. I was like, oh, but I'm, I'm, I'm shy. Like this is going to be horrible. No, I ate it up. Like, I'm like, wait, I ate that up. Why? Would, but I'm shy. And so as you grow up a little bit, you start figuring out where maybe, maybe you had some misbeliefs about yourself or like, I thought I was shy and well shy. And here I am running around the engineering place talking to anyone who will talk to me because I have to talk to people. Like it's imperative. I never would have guessed that about myself. So I started figuring these things out. And I'll never forget when I put in my notice for my engineering job, everyone said, well, 
where are you going? Like I have the dream job, right? And aeronautical engineering. And I said, real estate. And the looks on their faces were like real estate. But then they would think about it for a second. They're like, Oh no, no, that, that actually makes a lot of sense because then they remembered how annoying I was bouncing around trying to say hi and saying, Hey, what you doing? What'd you do this weekend? What's going on? Uh Okay. We get the real estate thing. Um, but I would say that essentially I was under an impression not to say I don't have a lot of engineering tendencies. I do. I have a very strong left brain. I'm very intellectual. I was a math minor in college. Like I had, that was not false. However, there were a lot of other parts of me that I didn't know were a thing. Talking to people, building businesses. I didn't know I like world traveling. Like my parents didn't even start doing that until I was older. I love outdoors. I love camping. My parents hate camping. I had to figure that out on my own. And so I drifted out of that, started this whole journey. But then when I moved to Venice Beach, I actually told several people I wanted to become a professional hippie because I was already a professional. So I can't suddenly become unprofessional, but I wanted to be a hippie. So I needed to be a professional hippie. <laughs> and in less than like a year, I found out there's a degree in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, although to give the school credits, very academically uh, renowned and like it's a good, it's not a crazy person program. But, um, so that's kind of where that led to is, and just that journey of that school program taught me even more about myself. And it's a, it's a lifelong journey. I still don't know everything about myself for sure, but it turns out there's this whole other side of me. I love psychology. I am a hip, I say hippie, more of the spiritual type. Like I said, do Kundalini and Tantra and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, it's an exploration. It's like, Ooh, like Christmas. Now, now what can I play with? So it, it's just representative. I think of, I have both ends of the spectrum, which is really fun. It's annoying sometimes, but it's pretty fun. Can you talk about some of the specific meditative practices that you do, um, or spiritual practices that you do specifically what you do and what you find to be the most effective or influential in your life? Because I feel like there's a lot of people that are looking for those types of things, right? Meditative practices or ways to kind of ground themselves or ways to, you know, different things. And so can you talk about, you know, the things that you've tried and what you found and what you're currently doing that's most effective and meaningful to you? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a little, well, bias isn't the right word. I'm very fortunate to live in Southern California, LA specifically. There is every meditative option on the planet, like at my fingertips. And not, and I realize if you live in who knows where, you may not have a lot of these. Um, so it's kind of about finding what is available to you. But uh, I started, not even to go in the whole story, I started very small. At the same time, I started researching ways to get out of corporate. I, I don't know what more spiritual book I had read, like a Louise Hay book or something. And it was the simplest concept of learning to replace your negative thoughts with positive thoughts. Like it seems so simple, right? And it's like, oh, but when you actually start paying attention to your negative thoughts, oh, oh, okay. So I started there and then over the years, just exploring and reading books and whatever. And so, like I said, I landed on Kundalini Yoga Tantra as my bigger, that's my newer thing. That is, I'm pretty sure that practice was created for me personally. I think that's why it became a thing because it knew I was coming on the earth. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, but every meditation, all those practices are all a little bit different, but they accomplish kind of the same thing. And it's as simple as, you know, I can walk out to the beach and just, if I just focus on my breath, it's not about, it's not about making my mind chatter or whatever stop. It's about learning to watch it. And you essentially separate yourself from your own drama. I saw a little cartoon one time that's like you're sitting on a hill and there's a road down there and there's cars going different directions and all the cars have like an emotion label on it. And you're sitting on this hill, you're just watching your own emotions go by. And that's what meditation's about. It's because people get frustrated, like, oh, I can't make my mind shut. Trust me. I know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Um, but it's starting small and not requiring yourself to be some kind of like Buddhist expert all of a sudden. And also even taking the religious aspect out of it. People think, oh, well, that's a religious. It's not. It, it doesn't have to be. It's part of a lot of religions, but it, it doesn't matter what religion you come from. If you have a religion, if you don't, 
meditation is, it's really becoming a scientifically proven thing. And for any, for any doubters out there, I don't even know if you've heard of this book. If anyone listening has ever doubted meditation, the best book ever is called 10% Happier by Dan Harris. He's a news anchor guy. It is so funny for starters, but basically the short of it is he got put on a site. He was the biggest doubter of all this hippity dippity woo woo crap, uh, that he was a huge doubter and he ironically got put on an assignment to go interview some of the biggest, you know, guys in this industry type thing, spiritual beings. And so the whole book is him commentating this whole journey. It is so funny because he's the biggest doubter and he goes to a yoga retreat at some point and his commentary about the dialogue in his head about the silent meditation retreat or whatever it was. I mean, it is priceless. Like, but it, it helps with taking the how many, how many woo woo out of it and just making it a scientific practice. They have brain scans now saying meditation does in fact relax you, yada, yada, yada. So I personally highly recommend it. I, I get that I live in LA and I live in Venice Beach. So it's kind of like a, it's a thing, <laughs> but there's a reason it's a thing. Uh, so I, yeah, I recommend anyone if they are interested in whatever, then there's so many realms. Don't try one and think it's weird or you hate it or whatever. Just open yourself up to that opportunity and know that I personally find it helpful. Okay. So I got to ask you about this reality TV show. <laughs> That you're on. I'm, so, I'm pretty sure I meditated first, before it. <laughs> so, first of all, uh, tell us the the name of the show. You know, like how people can find it if they want to go watch you on this show. Well, now I'm only going to tell people where to find it because so it's. Let's see, it aired a year and a half ago, and no one has recognized me in public yet. <laughs> I was certain this was going to be like my celebrity <laughs> debut. Yeah. And I remember I had a couple layovers in airports. I was like, oh, well, if I'm in airports. <laughs> certainly someone's going to recognize me. <laughs> to this day, nobody no. has. So I'm waiting. I need to increase the audience because I need someone to recognize let's me. Let's <laughs> increase it. What's it called and where can they find it and what episode are you on? It's called Dare to Wear. It was a replacement for What Not to Wear on TLC. So Dare to Wear, season one, episode four. It's called A Girly Tomboy Swap. Okay. Now explain the premise of the episode that you were in. Should I give it away? Or should <laughs> I, I give th- like- I feel like you should give a, a reasonable <laughs> amount of it like in terms of the premise so that people will understand and some also some behind the scenes stuff so tell us a little bit about your experience on an actual reality tv show on a mainstream <laughs> television show and you know what was that like uh and so forth so tv was fun i really liked it i was so impressed with the tv process like i i was bugging my producer because i had a producer running around with me all the time i was asking her so many questions she probably never wants to talk to me ever again um So the premise was basically they presented me as a tomboy and they forced me out of those clothes and into the most hideous, girly, girly, girly clothes. And I had to, well, I guess this is giving it all away anyways, but I had to stay in those for 24 hours, including sled. It was like five inch stiletto heels. Well, at the time it was filmed, I had never really walked in heels. So um, it was not graceful. I could relay the commentary. I've heard about it, but it was not pretty. Like I was suddenly in this hideous dress. It gets way more dramatic than that. Like it just, just go with it and watch it. Um, <laughs> my walking was a, it was a situation. <laughs> and so their goal was to make me quote girly. And then there was a swap component to the show also. Yeah, so turns out there was someone else getting made over. And she was really girly, and her clothes were very girly but hideous. And so they made us trade clothes. So I was wearing her hideous dress and stilettos, and she had to wear my get-up. And we had to wear it for 24 hours and go out in public. Ironically, I had flight students within that 24 hours. So I had to go to the flight school (laughs) in this ridiculous get-up and stiletto heels. I couldn't even get out of my Jeep. And then I'm trying to walk to my students at the plane and I can't get there because my <laughs> legs won't work in stilettos. And then when they get us back after 24 hours, like how'd, you, how'd it make you feel and whatever. 
And I will say the other girl on the show, she was pretty funny too. Like her commentary about being in my clothes. I thought she had it easier. She had to been comfortable. Like you could take a nap in my clothes. I'm trying to walk. Like seriously, I was in so much pain on so many levels, physical and emotional. I'm pretty sure. Um, but then they get us back and they try some different, uh, outfits of their choosing and they were fairly hideous. <laughs> worked great for the other girl, but, um, I got called out as being fairly stubborn and, but I, I was holding to it. Like, okay. So, so, so if you want to see the episode, is it streamable? Can they find it? Like, how do they find it? How do they see this? Now get ready. It's going to be an investment for a dollar 99. You can get it on Amazon prime. Okay. So repeat the name of the show and the, and the season of the episode. Dare to wear season one, episode four. Uh, the title of the episode is called a girly tomboy swap. Okay. And, Amazon Prime. And that's the two ninety nine for HD if you want to get totally wild. For HD. <laughs> I'll you- tell you, after when I knew it was gonna air, I was so nervous about what I was gonna look like on TV. Because I, I I don't know, I've been alive for thirty five years. What if I've thought I appeared in some way that's completely different than how I like that could be traumatizing. So I pretty much downed a bottle of wine before I watched the episode because I thought it was the only way I was gonna be able to tolerate it. So then once I watched it and I thought I'd, I could deal with it, then I, I watched it without the wine months later. But, yeah, it, no major trauma from <laughs> All right. Allie, at this point of the podcast, are you ready for the lightning oh God. round? The lightning round. All right. Um, number one book that you would recommend that has most impacted you personally on your journey? Can I give three books for three different categories? Accept, oh, let's see, my number one I book accept, for three different yeah, categories. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for the idea of lifestyle design, passive income, a little bit of rental property stuff, real estate stuff, hands down, what changed my life was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I feel like that's a common story, but I would not be where I am today with you as a mentor, but also with all of the rich dad books, uh, from the passive income explanation. Cause I feel like he really explained it all and made it make sense by, by Robert Kiyosaki. Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, for business and entrepreneurship, hands down, no contest, non-negotiable. I don't care what kind of business you're trying to start or what size the E-Myth revisited by uh, Michael Gerber, Michael Gerber. Yeah. Like, oh, um, I've actually read through that twice. Yep. Absolutely amazing. And then for general life goodness, I love Jack Canfield's, is it the 100 Success Principles? It's a big fat book. Yep. I think that is a, that, I mean, carried around like a Bible as far as succeeding, being happy, getting what you want. It's such practical language. All day long. It's a general, amazing go-to book. What advice would you give your 20-year-old self? If you could go back 15 years, knowing what you know now, the lessons that you've learned, the life experiences that you've had, go back and give your 20-year-old self a piece of advice, what would it be? The world will not explode if you don't pay a bill. (laughs) (laughs) That is an excellent piece of advice. (laughs) What gets you out of bed in the morning? I usually get out of bed because I get bored laying there (laughs) or I have to pee. (laughs) Should I have had a more sophisticated answer for that? (laughs) Nope. That is a completely acceptable answer. Okay. What is your favorite thing that you've bought over the last year that's most impacted your life? Not anything very expensive, but something that you've had that's impacted your life. You want to know something really nerdy? Yeah. So I graduated with the psychology master's in August, and I was certain I was done with college. I didn't last two months before I found uh, online college courses, and I paid $49 for a class from Rutgers, and... I really like it. Okay, so 
Tell us a little bit about where people should go to find you and how they can follow you and follow your travels and your lifestyle design as well as your your business and your real estate adventures and all that kind of stuff. Where do they find you? So for the business side of stuff, if you want to connect with Hipster, which is my company, go to www.hipsterinvestments.com, spelt just like it sounds. And this is not one of those situations where if you reach out on the contact form, you hear back from a robot or you don't hear back from anyone, you will hear back. Um, and that's an easy way to get a hold of me. Uh, if you want a more direct route, my email is ali, A-L-I, at hipsterinvestments.com. And then... Our company social medias are Hipster Invest. So Instagram's at Hipster Invest, Twitter's at Hipster Invest, Facebook, I think, is slash Hipster Investments. And then personally, I, I've never in my entire life had a Facebook page, ever. Like, it's almost unbelievable. But I do have an Instagram, and I do put my adventures on Instagram. And that Instagram is at Ali, A L I, Boone, B O O N E. Dot com spelled out, D-O-T-C-O-M. So A-L-I-B-O-O-N-E-D-O-T-C-O-M. Alleyboon.com spelled out. Allie, thank you so much for <laughs> being you, on the podcast. Thank you for my wine refills. Absolutely. We've just uh, finished a uh, bottle of Chianti Classico during this conversation. Close to the Italy border Indeed. in the Swiss Alps. Indeed. My and first microphone experience. Your first microphone experience. And tomorrow we will both, for the first time, be skiing or snowboarding. Matterhorn. Which is why the wine will be stopping very soon. And so if you go to Instagram and you follow Allie on Instagram, most likely you'll be able to see some pics from snowboarding. Oh, not even most likely. In the Swiss like Alps. Most certainly. Most certainly some pics from snowboarding in the Swiss Alps. One does, one does not get on Instagram to not put pics of the Swiss Alps when they're there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you very much for being here. And uh, everybody can go and find Allie at uh, hipsterinvestments.com. Yeah. All right. Have a good night, everybody. And thank you again, Allie. Thank you. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Do you know how to determine actual market rents and localized vacancy rates for individual properties at the address level? Do you know how to determine the strength of the rental market where your property is located and which direction rental rates are trending? Learn how at themaverickshow.com slash rent. This data has historically been difficult to ascertain, but now you can pull reports that contain all this information for any address in the U.S. And you can pull your first report for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash rent. Are you at risk for being underinsured on your rental properties? Or are you paying too much for your coverage? To find out, go to themaverickshow.com slash insurance and check out a free recorded webinar on debunking the 13 rental property insurance myths. Insurance can be complex and confusing. And there are a lot of myths that can get you burned when you least expect it. To learn more, check out this free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com forward slash insurance.